I want to kick off the show thanking Jerry LaHaye. Wheel a mile in my wheels or wheel a mile on my wheels. Jerry put that together for today. And I did go over and I did give it a shot. And I do have a newfound appreciation for really the state of some of our sidewalks. It is unbelievable when you don't have to really look down. Because let's face it. Sidewalks, for the most part, or in some cases, interlocking bricks around the city, they're they're there, and you're not necessarily staring down at your feet as you navigate them. You can pay attention to kind of where the dips and dives are. When you are on wheels, it is a very different circumstance, and in about a half hour from now, I will take you to the moment I sat down in Jerry's chair and started to roll forward. And the number of things that you have to take into account, it's a lot different than I thought it would be. It really was. So that comes up in about a half hour from now. But again, thank you to Jerry for putting that together. There will be video on the 980 CFPL website this afternoon. And we'll kind of show you what we are talking about with pictures. We can do that. Right now, it'll be more just listening over the radio because that's what we do. Great to have you with us. We are also going to be talking today about a guy who is planning on moving a great distance, not in a wheelchair, using his legs, but moving from Tobermory to Niagara. Brett Optoff is going to join us. We've talked with Brett before. Brett is a stroke survivor. Brett also contracted a virus that eventually attacked his heart. And he is someone who has then dealt with both heart and stroke issues and has come through to the point that he is going to run from Tobermory to Niagara. It's about 898 kilometers. So we'll talk with Brett about how training is going. And Brett says he's also added a little something else into his run, which I think is another run. So 898 kilometers... Apparently not far enough. He's going to tack on more than that. And he plans to do this over the course of about 16 days. We are also going to talk about prostate cancer. It is something that if you have a guy in your life, you got to get him thinking about it. And if you are a guy yourself, you got to get thinking about it. And it's something that guys don't typically tend to pay attention to. You know, you can... Walk up to most men and say, when was your last physical? And you'll hear, I don't remember. And that usually is not a great answer, but things that are happening in prostate cancer research and prostate cancer treatment are pretty wild. In an hour from now, we are going to hear from one of the leading experts, happens to be from right here in London, Ontario. And we're actually going to talk about this. Picture this, okay? Because I still, I can't get my head around this. If someone is diagnosed with prostate cancer, it is a cancer. There are instances now in which they will say, it's better not to treat this. It is so slow in growing and progressing that you're actually doing potentially more harm to yourself or making more changes to yourself by treating the disease than you are just living with the disease. How strange is that to think about? You're diagnosed with a cancer and 
one of the this is not every single case. So again, guys, get your prostate checked. Have the PSA test. But this is this is just a certain number of particular circumstances. But the best thing to do is to do nothing. How weird is that? We'll talk about why that is in just a little while. Western Fair has its acts, the grandstand concerts back for this year. It isn't too early to start talking about the fair. doesn't mean summer is going to be over. You know that we've got heat alerts coming in, and tomorrow is going to be a wickedly warm day in this area. So don't worry. Summer's not going anywhere. We're not talking about the fair because we want fall to arrive. But we were just pretty amazed looking at who's going to be at the fair. And I can give you a little sneak peek now. The Trues, Marianas Trench, Trooper, Platinum Blonde, Virginia to Vegas – All will be at Western Fair this year. So we'll talk about that on the show as well. And then, have you tried, I forget what the term is. It used to be turn off the screens week. Now it's it's not. It's unplug yourself or something like that. But I think there may be more than one. It's basically putting down all of the things that are electronic for a period of time. Canadians, not doing that very much. But again, I don't I don't know why that that has to be a thing. Am I just talking from the point of someone who picks up their phone quite a few times over the course of the day and says, "Oh, look what's happening there." Oh, hey, look at that. Didn't know that. Or who says, "I can't remember what that is," and then I look it up. Am, is that is that a problem? Am I part of the problem? Well, we're going to look courtesy of the CIRA at some of the things that Canadians are having trouble doing. Because of their phones. And one of them is putting those phones down. So that's coming up on the show. Lots of things straight ahead. But I want to start with something that has really raised some eyebrows. And this started when it was announced, I want to say four months ago even, that this was taking place. It is a performance. It is going to be taking place at the Blythe Festival in the Blythe Festival Theatre. In August, it's going to run into September, and it is a performance, a play called In the Wake of Wetlawfer, and it's referring to Elizabeth Wetlawfer. And four months ago when this first was announced, there were a lot of people who said, wait, what? What is this? And now they are still going ahead with this. This is still happening. And again, it it probably merits... Some background. It probably merits learning a little bit more about why this is taking place. Because the Wetlawfer that they're referring to is Elizabeth Wetlawfer. So in other words, a play has been written that has a connection to Elizabeth Wetlawfer. And therefore has a connection to a lot of families who were given some very sad and tragic news about a loved one who had been killed. And now we've got a play that has been created that has a connection to this. Well, the best thing to do when trying to determine why this has been done or what the hope is, what the impact has been, whether families have been spoken to, how do they feel about this? Aren't you filled with a lot of questions? I know I am. The best thing to do is to talk with somebody who put this together. One of the co-authors will join us in just a moment. Gil Garrett, the artistic director at Blythe Festival and a co-author of In the Wake of Wetlawfer. We'll ask all of those questions, I promise, and probably a couple of more. 
This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So, you may have heard about this already, maybe not. And that's why we bring it up. It's a play. It is a performance that will happen in the Blythe Festival Theatre. And it's called In the Wake of Wetlawfer. And it has a connection to Elizabeth Wetlawfer. And I believe the things that she confessed to doing. Now, this is one of those things where you think, okay, why, why is someone putting this together? Why, why is this a thing? And before we go anywhere about thinking our own thoughts and putting together, you know, whether this is something you believe is right or wrong, why don't we get some real background on this? And why don't we talk with someone who co-wrote it? Gil Garrett is the artistic director at Blythe Festival. And Gil, as we all know, we we love to explore things. We love to talk about things. We love to watch performances, ones that will certainly make us think. Take us to kind of the genesis of In the Wake of Wet Lava. Where did this idea come from? So this project, uh, uh, In the Wake of Wet Lawfer, um, uh began uh, an artist uh, here at the theater, uh, Kelly McIntosh, approached me with a, uh, an idea, um, and we began having a conversation about uh, really what we felt was the irrevocable impact of the heinous crimes of Elizabeth Wetlawfer and what it actually meant um, for us as a community. Um, and what that really opened up for us was, um, you know, the, the beginning of a conversation. She was struck especially by um, the confession of Elizabeth Wetlawfer and how in that confession she talked about all of these people who she had told from the very beginning um, about what she had done uh, and people who did not come forward and uh, tell the authorities. Or, um, and we were really trying to understand how this could be and why were, um, you know, people who were so vulnerable and and so marginalized our our people in long term care why were they somehow um, uh, being negated in this way and around that time the public inquiry was announced and Justice Galise and her extraordinary mission um, to really uh, interrogate the entire long-term care system. And from there, we began to uh, really consider how can we as storytellers help to amplify this amazing um, uh, uh, event, because we really feel like uh, the long-term care inquiry and its findings um, are, are a pressing front burner issue in in uh, in southwestern Ontario and should be impacting all of Canada. We need to have this conversation and. Over the course of engaging with the public inquiry, we got to develop some relationships with some of the, the directly affected, some of the, the families of some of the victims, and begin to try to uh, build some trust and have some conversations there. And it just seemed um, that uh, th- this is something that is so urgent and so important. And I mean, we wanted to contribute to that conversation and be a part of of really engaging our community in, in a fulsome conversation about uh, how we can heal, uh, how we can grow, and what we can do to change the future. Now, this can be a really difficult conversation because of the fact that, as you alluded to, loved ones 
were murdered, loved ones who were in the care of someone who was supposed to look after them, that didn't take place. When you started talking with the families about turning this into something that would be performed, what was the reaction that you got? So there were a number of different reactions. There was certainly concern, and, and people had reservations. Um, uh, and we talked through a lot of that with um, uh, with the families. And one of the things that um, was a deep concern at the beginning was uh, we assured them that we were not going to be portraying uh, Elizabeth Wetlofer in the show. Um, she is not depicted. There's nobody playing her. We do not reenact her crimes. It's not a dramatization of of, of the heinous and horrible things that she did. Um, and that was really important to people because, uh, I mean, nobody wants to sensationalize this. Um, so that was that was essential. Uh, and the other thing that we, we really wanted to, to try to make clear to people was the um, our goal of contributing to um, uh, healing and hope for the future. And once and once some of the families heard that message, um, then they began to open up to us, and we had um, a, a lot more trust happen. And incredibly, too, I got to say, these folks are so inspiring. Um, the ones who we've been able to have conversations with have just been so generous and so um, uh, encouraging, and and have their own concerns about the way in which the story um, has been told um, to date in, in the media, and, um, and and wanting to be part of a, a really full conversation. So. It's been special. It's been incredibly special. Uh, and, and honestly, to be able to also have some relationships with some of these folks, like after what they've been through. I know one thing we've heard um, from several of them is about how isolated they have felt because people are uncomfortable and they are afraid to talk about it and they don't want to you know, hurt anybody's feelings and they don't want to dredge things up. And so the default is, okay, well, then I'm, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to talk about it with them. I'm not going to have a conversation with these people. And unfortunately, and for some, some of those folks, it's led to isolation. It's led to people feeling incredibly alone with these feelings and it it is a difficult thing to sit across from somebody who has been through this kind of trauma and 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 say you know um talk to me about where you are and how you're feeling and what's going on um but i think as a as a canadian storyteller um after what has happened i feel we have a responsibility to to bear witness we're talking with gil garrett the artistic director of the blythe festival we're talking about in the wake of Wet Lawfer, which Gill has co-written with Kelly McIntosh, and it will be performed starting in August at the Blythe Festival. Gill, have you had anyone come to you and say, please don't do this? We have. Um, and, uh, and one of the things that we've tried to do is, is to respond um, as openly and honestly and transparently as we can about um, the reasons we're, we're doing it and why, why it is that we're engaged with this. And I would say, actually, interestingly, the more that folks have learned about it, about why we're doing it and what it really is, um, then people have very quickly changed their opinions and, and actually been really encouraging of the work that we're doing and, and trying to... You know, I think people who understand at this point why this is so important, um, and who also have been, you know, told that really what we're trying to create is a is a a piece that is heartwarming, that is full of hope, and that is about the triumph of love over trauma. I mean, once once we get to talking about that very thing, then then the conversation changes. 
Gil, when you come to create something like this, you mentioned Elizabeth Wetlofer is not depicted in this. How do you go about telling the story without her? So our play is about a fictional family um, who uh, are going through uh, the process of putting their elderly father, um, who has been diagnosed with dementia, into a long-term care facility. The father goes into the facility, um, he's there for a bit of time, and he passes away, and the family grieve, and then very soon after, the confession breaks, the story breaks, and um, the crimes of Elizabeth Wetlaufer are revealed, and the family realizes that she has been working as a nurse in the facility, the same facility where their father has been. And their father has not been named as one of the victims, um, they, they are, but they are left with this question, um, which unfortunately um, hundreds of families are left with the same question right now. And they're trying to understand what went on, and so they attend the hearing, and they attend um, uh, the public inquiry, and they try to get as much information as they can. And in the midst of all of that, the family themselves go through the things that um, uh, all too many families have to deal with in, in putting a family member into long-term care, which is you know, um, the rise of, of, of sibling rivalries from their past, which is um, uh, some of the challenges um, around um, money and all those sorts of pieces. And it, it puts a strain on that family. But over the course of the play, they come together and they support each other and they, they learn to be able to, to love each other and, and, and help get through this. And that's really what the play is about. Gil Garrett, Blythe Festival Artistic Director and co-author of In the Wake of Wet Lawfer. Gil, did you ever have a conversation about perhaps writing a play that, that would detail all of those things, but wouldn't have that real-world connection? I would say the problem is for us um, as Ontarians, and especially as people living in southwestern Ontario, um, uh, it's it's undeniable the impact that she has had, um, and we can't turn away from it. No more than we could, um, uh, you know, create a play about uh, the sinking of the Titanic and have no icebergs in it, right? Um, uh, we we can't just make a play about the dangers of big boats. We have to really look at what happened here. And I think what has been revealed about uh, the state of our long-term care system is also that Elizabeth Wetlaufer's crimes, um, even if we set those aside, there is decades of, of her working in a system uh, where she did shoddy, shoddy work, where we know that there were well over a hundred complaints in her files. We know that there was everything from, you know, um, uh, uh, endangering patients to um, stealing people's food to um, uh, just, uh, you know, falling asleep on shifts. We know that she was not a good nurse, and yet she operated in a system that unfortunately has been left so desperate and in such need of, of repair that she was able, and, and some would argue, as they, many did in the inquiry, that she was actually enabled to carry out the, the horrible things that she did um, 
I mean, the reality is, had she not come forward and confessed and personally walked into a um, police station, we would not be having any of this conversation in Ontario. It's not like we were lined up to say, you know, let's have a a robust conversation about the state of long-term care. It wasn't until somebody preyed on our elderly, on our loved ones, and then turned herself in that we began this conversation. And I think that we um, in Ontario have, a, have a, a lot to reconcile after that. Gil, thank you so much for the conversation today. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it. Gil Garrett, Artistic Director, Blythe Festival, co-author of In the Wake of Wet Lawfer. I don't know about you, I now have a better understanding. Because when you hear there's a play, it involves some of the things that went on when Elizabeth Wetlaufer was taking care of loved ones and not taking care of loved ones, you think, well, well, why would, why would this be a thing we'd need? Well, look at what Gil says. It opens up the conversation. Have they had people say, yeah, don't do this? Yes. But have they had people say, know what? Our loved one was involved in this, and, and it's important to have this out there as a conversation, as something to pay attention to. Let's take a break. News is on the way next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. In the next half hour of the program, we're going to talk about moving in two different ways. One on wheels around city sidewalks and another over a span of about 898 kilometers over the course of just 16 days. We'll talk with Brett Optoff from 898 Strong in 10 minutes from now, but I want to thank Jerry LaHaye. Jerry yesterday was on London Live and happened to mention that he was going to be hosting Wheel a Mile on My Wheels today, encouraging anybody who wanted to to meet him at 10 o'clock at Richmond and York and sit down on his wheelchair and attempt to navigate through part of downtown city sidewalks. In this case, north on Richmond, between York, heading up toward King. That was the spot. Just to see what it was like for anyone who had to do this on a regular basis. And remember, today is a really nice day. No rain, definitely no snow. Anybody seen a flake? No snow. No real problems whatsoever. So we went over there, and I had a chance to give this a shot. Here I am in Jerry's wheelchair. We didn't have tornadoes here until we started putting into. I don't think that's me okay. in Jerry's so I've wheelchair. Got one break at all. off, other break off. All right, yeah, that's like better. you say, start slow. Yep. All right, so I'm now moving. And first of all, the first thing I notice is that the sidewalk is slanted to the street. I can understand that, obviously, rainwater. Don't have to be a physicist for that. But it really is a workout for the arm that is closest to the street. I'm not even moving with the other arm. In fact, I'm kind of holding with that other arm in order to keep from just going into the street. So now I'm going to make a transition from sidewalk onto interlocking brick. And this is on Richmond. And now the interlocking brick is really uneven. Now all of a sudden I am using that other arm 
Here's a big dip that we're going down only on one side. You could turn this into a ride at Canada's Wonderland pretty easily. Look at this. And now I'm going to dip down again, and then I come back up. And now I don't even know what this is. This, you know, the if you want to think of this, you want to picture this on a different kind of scale. You know, when you go to Putnam on the 401, and you go by the way scales, and you go up and down, up and down. That's what I'm going into right now. And then there's an up and a down, and an up and a down. You can get rolling along, but still, this is this is uneven. And I've been doing this for how long? 30 seconds. This is a workout. I can feel back sweat. So, a little further, now we get into a spot where we actually have an alleyway, and that alleyway could also be resurfaced at some point, but it then dips really down in order to get whoever is coming out of that alleyway into the street. So if you picture undulations and a pretty significant downhill, that's what you're going into. So now it's all outside hand to get by this, all outside hand. You really have to push hard. You can see what Jerry means by pointing out there are some people who would be in wheelchairs who really would struggle to do any of this. Right now, this is, this is a work. I don't think I'm going to have to lift weights later today. So now I'm going to attempt to turn around. There are trees to negotiate. You think about all of these things that you don't even notice on a day-to-day basis going down Richmond. And they're all of a sudden in play in a whole new way. Now I'm kind of stuck in a hole. That's better. Now I'm out of the hole. So I'll wheel back. But it's no easier on the way back. It's just a workout for the other arm. But you can see exactly what Jerry means. It's no fault of the city. It's no fault of anyone's. It happens over time, but it's high time for this to be addressed. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're now on the road like a drunk driver. I know. That's what it felt like. And did you feel mostly on your left side? And then yeah, it's always the outside. I couldn't believe how much, the, uh, especially even on the smoother part here, yeah. how much that actually made a difference. Agreed. Where it's Agreed. almost, it was almost harder to go on the smoother part than it was on the cobblestone. Mm-hmm as uneven as though they just presented a different challenge. It's almost like the traction on the cobblestone. Um, when you, if you were to go to the other side of, of King Street on, the, on, on Richmond here, it is concrete, but it's on, it's on a worse angle. Right? And it's almost like, especially on a rainy day, you almost feel like you're sliding down the... the and it, it, again, it's not to beat up on people. It's just that we are becoming in a society where accessibility is in the focus for aging. We're, you know, let's face it, we're, we're, we're aging, diabetes is a problem, and, and so more and more people are in using gate aids and wheelchairs and scooters and stuff like that, and it's something that we really didn't focus on 25 years ago. So thanks to Jerry LaHaye for allowing us to try that, because you don't realize the slope on even a smooth sidewalk that carries the water out into the street makes sense, but it it makes it very difficult to get around. Now, I don't think you're going to change that slope, but certainly some of the undulations where we did have interlocking brick that have now kind of over time sunk into the earth in some spots, been popped up in other spots. That's a stretch where, yeah, we get concerned about the infrastructure and what's under the street. Those sidewalks, I'm glad Jerry is raising this because they are definitely an issue. And if you have any question. I'm sure Jerry would be nice enough to allow you to wheel a mile on his wheels. 
We will take a break on London Live. Next up, Brett Optoff is going to join us. We'll find out how his training is going. Brett has dealt with a stroke. He's a stroke survivor. He's also dealt with a pretty significant heart issue. And he is running 898 kilometers to raise money and awareness for heart and stroke. We'll find out how his training is going. And think about 898 kilometers, just how far that might actually be. We'll outline that next as we talk to Brett. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. It is scary to go through any health issue. Our next guest has done that. He's a stroke survivor. He found out that he had a birth defect in his heart, which was compromised by an infection and turned into something that you could certainly refer to as threatening, if not life-threatening. Anything that deals with your heart, in my mind, that's life-threatening. He's come through all of that and now plans to run the Bruce Trail with the hope of raising $100,000 for heart and stroke research. And he's doing that in about two months, month and a half, toward the end of August. And it will go from Tobermory into Niagara, 898 kilometers, creating 898 strong. And we've talked with Brett before on London Live, but we wanted to get an update on how things are going. And he's also got a little wrinkle that he's going to add into all of this. Brett, great to speak with you. How is the training going? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm not getting the kilometers in as like I would like to, but um, it's going along pretty uh, pretty good. Life can get in the way pretty quick, can't it? Uh, yeah, you know, allergies and humidity and rain <laughs> kind of played a factor in it. So You are still on track to run 898 kilometers, and it will be going from Tobermory to Niagara. And this, of course, is raising money. It's raising awareness for the Heart and Stroke Foundation, something that has become very near and dear to you. Anyone who does not remember our last conversation, you're someone who has been through heart issues, you've been through a stroke, and uh, here you are now planning to run 898 kilometers in as little as 16 days, and maybe even less. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, I think I, I do have my personal goals, but, you know, as long as I'm under that 16-day window, I'll be pretty uh, pretty happy about everything. Can you look back and, and think of a time where there is no way if someone walked up to you and said, Brett, you know, in, in a few years, here's what you're going to be doing. And you would have said, yeah, no, uh, I think you've got the wrong room. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, probably about 12 years ago, maybe, uh, when I was kind of in the heavier stages. Um, I it was about 235 pounds, and uh, I've lost. You know, within a year after that, I'd lost about 50 pounds um, to a comfortable, like, 175. But, uh, yeah, if you would have said that to me back then, I, I would have laughed. <laughs> it's the most insane kind of comment ever. So, <laughs> As this draws closer, how are you feeling about the challenge that you've kind of laid out for yourself? Um, I, I've had a couple moments where, you know, I'd go for a long run and, you know, like a 40K, and I'd just be like, wow, you know, maybe I might be getting over a little bit over my head here. Um, but then I just, I look at it, and it's like, okay, you know, it was, you know, 38 degrees with the humidity, and 
a bunch of st- other things that kind of factored in. I'm like, obviously, I'm not going to have a good run. So, um, and I like to push myself. So when it gets into those days, I kind of go in midday as well to kind of push me th- through that pain. So I'm like, I'm not going first thing in the morning. I'm going at one o'clock in the afternoon when it's the hottest. So I, I kind of force myself to um, go through those strenuous um, kind of uh, heat and whatnot just to kind of push me a little bit more. Brett Ottoff joining us on London Live as we talk about 898 Strong, and it is an 898-kilometer course from Tobermory, taking Brett through to Niagara, and he plans to run this still toward the end of August, early September, depending on weather and that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, like regardless, I'm leaving, regardless of the weather, uh, August 31st is the start date. Um, well, unless it, there's like a tornado or something, but, um, if it's raining, whatever, I'm the 31st of August, I'm heading out. Now you're also heading out even before that, because it, let's uh, kind of lay this out. Brett is running just shy of 900 kilometers over a 16 day span, 15 day span, maybe even 10 day span, depending on how things go. As Brett says, he has his own personal goals. You've decided to add a little bit to this. Uh, let us know what you're going to be doing the civic holiday weekend, which is now look at that calendar less than a month away. Uh, yeah, so um, it's it's just to kind of keep things rolling along. Um, just because the last time we had talked, there was you know it was two months ago, and um, it, it's just too much of a lull. And you know, regardless of what you're trying to do, people do tend to lose interest. So um, it's just just kind of a kickstart event, uh, and I'm going to continue on with it just to kind of get people like rejuvenated in the the thought and the aspect of it. So what I'm planning on doing the Civic Long Weekend is running around Oxford County, um, which is roughly like 225 kilometers. So um, I'll probably leave, you know, Friday Friday night, uh, maybe do 30 kilometers and then see how it goes Saturday and Sunday. And if it spills out on a Monday, then so be it. You have that because it's the holiday weekend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it, I don't get it off. I have to take a vacation day, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, so as of right now, we're, we're just kind of starting to plan this, um, and, and it won't take too long. It's just a matter of finding people who, um, if there's anybody that wants to come out and run alongside me or bike, um, I, if there's, uh, you know, any type of like OPP officer or whatnot that wants to kind of drive along or anybody, um, you know, water stations, food drop-offs, stuff like that. They we're just kind of planning that, um, determining on where I'm going to be at a certain point in time. Okay, and if anybody listening says, you know what, I, I'll do that, what should they do? How do they contact you? Um, they could either find me on my Instagram page, which is I run hike for heart and stroke, or just search me out on Facebook. Um, so just Brett Optoff, O-P-T-H-O-F, and just contact me through there. Okay, easy as that. We're talking with Brett Optoff, who is going to be running just shy of 900 kilometers from Tobermory to Niagara, and now has included on the Civic Holiday Weekend a run around Oxford County just to kind of raise some more awareness for heart and stroke. Now, where do you plan to leave from on the Civic Holiday Weekend? So there's a a brewery in Woodstock. It's called uh, Upper Thamesbury, 
and they've been helping me along uh, with the fundraising side of things. So we're probably, I'm hoping to keep that going, and that would be like the home base um, where that's where I would stop or start and then probably finish as well. Okay, fantastic. Well, we'll keep you up to date as to exactly where Brett is going to leave from. You've mentioned a couple of times as we've been talking, yeah, I ran 40K or yeah, I'll run 30K. That's almost a marathon in both cases. Is that something you've always just been able to kind of rhyme off? Hey, I'm going to go for a jog, and instead of doing 5K or 4K, you just haul out and hit a 30? Uh, yeah, so in between that 20 and 30K range, like I, you know, uh, at my peak, I can do it any day of the week, uh, regardless of the weather. Um, it's just when I get into that 30 plus is where you really start hitting that wall and you just kind of got to push through it. Um, so yeah, usually once a month, like, you know, prior to all this, um, was a 30 plus K run for me, maybe once every other week. And what do you hope people learn from what you are doing? Because we outlined it even before we started on the interview, all the different things that you have been through, that you have overcome, now you're doing this. What kinds of things do you want people to take away from what you're doing? Um, Yeah, so it's just kind of, it's more of like the health side of things. Um, As long as you can keep yourself physically active, eat right, um, eat, the chances of you recovering from any type of illness are significantly higher. How much do you credit your physical fitness and the way that you had been living your life with allowing you to get through, whether it was the stroke, whether it was the infection that you contracted that eventually caused issues with your heart? Um, a lot, actually. Uh, yeah, like, I honestly don't think I'd be here today if I was the way I was 12 years ago when I was 235 and, you know, not eating correctly, not working out correctly, no cardio, um, stuff like that. Like, I honestly don't think I'd be talking to you right now. Um, or if if I am here, I'd, it's, I'm significantly different, uh, where I might have a lot of the side effects from the strokes, the blood infections, the concussions, the, you know, open heart surgery. So it's just, I, I, I do attest like that it's helped me quite a bit. Well, it's amazing to still hear that you are planning on doing what you're planning on doing. Tobermory to Niagara and now Civic Holiday Weekend. A simple run around Oxford County. Brett, can't thank you enough for outlining the story for us and can't wait to talk again. We'll do that maybe after the Civic Holiday Weekend and find out how things went there. And then uh, as we zero in on on your actual 898-kilometer run, we'll, uh, we'll talk then. Perfect. Fred Optoff from 898 Strong. So just adding a little jog around Oxford County. Training is going well, and we wish Brett the best of luck. We are going to let you know what is ahead on London Live when we return. More to come in hour number two. It will include talk about the Trues coming to London, talk about Platinum Blonde coming back to London. We are also going to talk about Canadians and their smartphones 
or just connected Canadians in general. We'll give you details in just a minute. This is London Live. It's Tuesday, and it's about to turn really warm. Don't forget, the majors have a makeup game tonight. Might not be on the schedule that you have, but they are in action. Beautiful night at the ballpark, 7.30 start. They'll be hosting the Kitchener Panthers, looking for their third straight victory. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. What if you were diagnosed with cancer? You don't want this to happen, but what if? And what if after making that diagnosis, your doctor called you into an office and said, okay, we're not going to do anything about this. In fact, you'll live a much better life if we don't do anything about this. We just let it be. But doc, I... I have cancer. You've diagnosed me with cancer. We're just going to let it be. That's one of the things we're going to talk about in 10 minutes from now. How is that even a thing? Well, in the world of prostate cancer, believe it or not, it actually is. And we will talk with one of the top doctors when it comes to urology in this area. Dr. Hassan Razvi is going to join us. We'll also talk Western Fair and Canadians having trouble disconnecting. We've got some stats on it and a special guest to join us too. As London Live continues after news, this is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. It is warming up and then some, as we have heard, and so it's time to find a nice, cool place for a little while. This hour on London Live, we have no cool places. Got some good hot topics. We are going to be talking about the stage, the Western Fair. The Grandstand is back at it, and things are actually looking really good. Grandstand concerts will outline who is coming to London. Not that we want September to come. We'll take this hot weather for a little while, right? It's not too hot. Aren't, aren't we picky? Way too picky. We'll do that in about 10 minutes from now. But I want to talk a little bit about the Men's Health Breakfast, which is coming up on August the 20th, because it helps to illustrate things that guys don't talk about. Health is one of those things. Why did Movember become so big? Because guys didn't talk about their health. And so, hey, why do you have that mustache? Oh, it's for Movember. What's Movember? Well, you know, you want to get your prostate checked out. You want to make sure you're doing And all of a sudden, it opens some doors. It opens some communication. Well, that's what the Men's Health Breakfast does as well. And one of the things that they do deal with is prostate cancer. In fact, they usually have more than one topic that they address. Joining us right now is Dr. Hassan Razvi who is one of the leaders in urology anywhere. We're lucky enough to have him in London, Ontario, and we're lucky enough to have him with us on London Live right now. Dr. Razvi, how are things today? Very good, Mike. How are you? Not bad. We're getting closer to the men's health breakfast, and you certainly have put together some interesting topics for this year. What are you going to be centering on this year? 
Yes, well, as you know, this is our, our fifth annual Men's Health Breakfast, and each year we have tried to choose uh, different topics uh, and uh, based on feedback that we've received from uh, people who have attended uh, the previous breakfast. So this year we have uh, selected uh, three interesting topics. Uh, the first one is on shoulder disorders in the aging male. That's a presentation that's going to be given by Dr. Ken Faber, who is one of the orthopedic doctors who works in the uh, world-renowned uh, Roth McFarland Hand and Upper Limb Centre at St. Joe's. Um, very common problem in aging men, so he's going to touch on shoulder disorders. Uh, Dr. Stephen Poutler, who is uh, from the Division of Urology at St. Joe's, a uh, world expert in prostate cancer care, is going to talk about uh, some of the new advances in the care of men with prostate cancer, particularly interest uh, from a lot of uh, people about how robotics has been incorporated into the management of prostate cancer, so he's going to uh, uh, give an update on that. And then finally, uh, cardiac disease is a common problem, of course, in our society. We've had some interest in a uh, talk on how to prevent cardiac problems and for people who are afflicted with cardiac ailments, uh, how are they rehabilitated? And so Dr. Peter Pryor from the Division of Cardiology will be speaking on that topic. So I think three very diverse topics, uh, but very, I think, relevant to, to men's health. So I think it's a, it's a very outstanding lineup we have uh, this year. Prostate cancer is something you are certainly involved with on a day-to-day basis. When you talk about robotics and prostate care, uh, it's probably difficult for most of us to make the connection (laughs) with how those two go together. What can you tell us about robotics and prostate health? Well, certainly. So, uh, Prostate health, of course, uh, entails a lot of different conditions, but I think the one that most men are perhaps the most fearful of, of course, is prostate cancer, which still is the number one uh, cancer in men uh, really throughout the world, in fact. Um, But we've seen quite an evolution in how we manage prostate cancer over the years. Uh, And uh, so, uh, you know, historically, uh, there were very few options for men with a diagnosis of prostate cancer. It usually meant a fairly invasive surgical procedure or various types of radiation treatment. Well, in the past, uh, say, 15 years or so, the the surgical option has evolved uh, quite dramatically. So now much less invasive types of surgery, and really that's where robotics fits in. And robotic surgery essentially implies the use of small incisions rather than one very large incision uh, to uh, perform a surgical procedure. And where this has really been adapted quite nicely is in the management of men with prostate cancer, where this procedure now with the aid of the robot can be done minimally invasively. It reduces the hospital stay for men. And in fact, uh, some men even go home the same day uh, remarkably after the surgery, which really has kind of revolutionized the recovery, a uh, much shorter period of recovery for men really can kind of get back to their either regular activities uh, uh, in a much, much quicker way than historically had been the case. So yeah, this has been certainly a revolution in terms of uh, you know improving the care for men who need surgery for prostate cancer. If we were to turn back the clock a little bit, go back five years, go back 10 years, could you ever have envisioned somebody having surgery on their prostate or for prostate cancer and going home the same day? Yeah, it's it's really it's kind of hard to imagine that when this all began that uh, this is where we were headed. Uh, but yeah, it it's it's revolutionized the care without question. As I said, um, you know, I think many 
men are surprised when, you know, they're uh, offered this procedure. And then, in fact, that may be the case because, uh, you know, they've probably heard the stories of men who'd had, you know, the much more invasive procedures. So, yes, it's it's been surprising to us, uh, I think, as well in the medical community, seeing how this can be done, uh, you know, on an ambulatory or outpatient basis and certainly in the patients that are selected appropriately. That certainly is a very viable option. And I think uh, many of them do appreciate this, obviously. We're looking ahead to the Men's Health Breakfast, which takes place on Tuesday, August the 20th, 7 in the morning until 9.30 at Brescia University College. And we're talking with Dr. Hassan Razvi about some of the topics they're going to be dealing with. In terms, before we leave prostate cancer, in terms of advancements of detecting prostate cancer, how are those coming along? Yes, well, I think that's a, a very active area of interest, uh, obviously, uh, in terms of the uh, urologic community and our patients. Um, you know, we do realize with the conventional ways that we have uh, been, uh, you know, searching or screening for prostate cancer, there are some limitations. Uh, many men have heard of or have had a blood test called the serum PSA or prostate-specific antigen and also uh, get regular checkups uh, uh, with their family physicians. Um, both of these are very good tools, but they're not perfect. We, we do uh, endorse that. And uh, so there's been lots of interest in trying to improve the ability uh, to detect uh, not only the presence of cancer, but also to detect prostate cancer that actually requires treatment. And that, I think, has been a real challenge to us in, in the urological community. And what I mean by that, of course, is that over the years, we have come to realize that some men with prostate cancer actually have a fairly indolent or slow-growing condition that, in fact, might not uh, lead uh, to their demise uh, and, in fact, may not even need to be treated. Um, and that's sort of a unique thing about prostate cancer as opposed to many other cancers and other organ systems where you know, sometimes prostate cancer doesn't require treatment. And that has really been, I think, a struggle for us to try and identify, you know, those cancers so that we don't over-treat people, a person who maybe isn't going to have uh, a poor outcome from a diagnosis of prostate cancer. Ideally, we would like to avoid giving them a treatment to avoid the complications potentially of any kind of treatment we give them. So being able to not only identify a cancer, but also the ones that are the ones that require treatment I think is an area that we really have uh, been trying very hard to address. And so on that front, there certainly is lots of interest in using uh, other modalities to try and detect cancer and how aggressive the cancers may be. So where there's been a lot of activity is in the use of MRI or magnetic resonance imaging. Many people have probably heard of that modality because it's used for imaging other organs, the brain quite commonly, a lot of uh, musculoskeletal conditions, very effective uh, imaging modality. For prostate, historically had not been very useful, but with some of the advancements in the uh, uh, the MRI uh, techniques and some of the machines that have improved the resolution, we're now being able to use it in a, in a diagnostic way for prostate cancer detection. So there's quite a bit of interest in that. And in fact, fusing what we call fusing the imaging with the MRI and other types of imaging, such as ultrasound, which is another uh, type of imaging modality we use for aiding in the performance of a biopsy of the prostate and to image the prostate that way. So combining these two modalities has increased our ability to detect cancer. So that is where we've seen, I think, quite a significant advancement. And, uh, and we look forward to you know, even further improvements as the technology gets better. Well, there will be discussion about 
prostate cancer treatment. There'll be discussion about shoulder disorders, about cardiac disease. Before we close out, Dr. Rasby, I think we almost need to rewind for a second. You were basically saying that there are men who can have prostate cancer but not need to have it treated. That that doesn't sound like what we know about cancer at all. Yes, well, that I think is, uh, you're right, something that uh, is uh, perhaps a novel way to think about uh, cancer and a diagnosis of it, but uh, that is something with prostate we definitely see, and in fact, uh, a management strategy, what we call active surveillance, which means uh, no initial treatment at diagnosis, but a period of observation and frequent follow-up to determine whether or not a cancer is becoming aggressive and does require treatment. And based on a man's age and perhaps maybe any other medical conditions they may have, uh, and particularly if the cancer is not aggressive based on all of the information we've gathered about it, yes, this concept of active surveillance actually can be uh, quite an effective way to handle uh, the, uh, the men's condition without subjecting them to complications related to any of the treatments that we might consider, uh, particularly when the cancer is not lethal or likely uh, you know, to lead to any further trouble. So yes, it's a, it's a different concept for sure than historically we had uh, used in the management of prostate cancer, but certainly now is being used uh, you know, quite commonly uh, in, you know, in the right situation. Dr. Rasby, we know we're in great hands in this area when it comes to health care. Thank you for being a big part of that, and thank you for the details on the Men's Health Breakfast. We'll look forward to more information on August 20th. Thank you, Mike. Dr. Hassan Rasvi, see? Don't treat it. Now, that's, that's not every case, but that's a certain tactic right now when it comes to prostate cancer. So that's coming up, Men's Health Breakfast, on August the 20th. Coming up, as we've mentioned, a little bit after that is, of course, Western Fair, which will run from September 6th to September 15th of this year. And it is bringing back grandstand concerts in 2019. Joining us right now is the Director of Marketing and Communications with Western Fair District, Mr. Greg Blanchard. Greg, how's the day going? Going great. How are you? Not bad. You found some air conditioning? <laughs> I have. Good. Finally. Stay there. Don't move. <laughs> exactly. It's only going to get warmer. And we're also looking at a list that makes things very hot for September. Grandstand concerts are back. Now, we've already had some people saying, what are you talking about back? Haven't they always been there? So I'll ask you that question. Am I remembering, misremembering what's happening? Well, uh, my yeah, concerts have have remained a, a part of the fair in the, in recent years, but uh, they've moved to the other side of the road. Um, we've uh, actually had them placed throughout the grounds uh, in recent years, and then um, uh, last year we had them in the Agriplex, actually. So, um, you know, because of the uncertainty of weather at that time of year, we thought it was a, a good strategy to move indoors and, and take that out of the equation. But you know, and listening to customers the last few years and and saying that, the, you know, they want some of their favorites back, including uh, the music and the grandstand. Uh, we were listening to that, and, and this year we're moving back across the road, and, and we're excited about it. It's, uh, it's a nostalgic part of the fair, and it's 144-year history. So this year uh, featuring three outstanding concerts uh, under the enclosed grandstand. So you've got one on Wednesday, you've got one on Thursday, and when is the other one taking place? Uh, on Tuesday, the Trues kick things off on Tuesday night. Uh, we've got Mariana's Trench as the headliner Wednesday, and then uh, we 
finish things off on Thursday night with uh, a co-concert, uh, co-billing of Trooper and Platinum Blonde, a couple of great bands from the late 70s and 80s. It's amazing to see the following, the Trooper, and certainly the Platinum Blonde still have, isn't it? It certainly is, and uh, I believe that they uh, both have played in the grandstand at one time or another over the years, so uh, just part of the great, great history, and uh, and we think it's a perfect fit. So getting back over there and and having bands like that with the familiarity and the outstanding local following they have, uh, we thought was a perfect fit. We are talking with Greg Blanchard, Director of Marketing and Communications with Western Fair District, about grandstand concerts being back actually on the grandstand. So how long did it go from not on the grandstand to now the return in 2019? I believe it's uh, upwards of 10 years, Mike. Um, I've been with the district myself for nine years, and uh, during that time we had not had a believe it or not, a a concert in uh, the grandstand during that time. We've had uh, the Trackside Music Festival, of course, uh, held in the infield in recent years. But uh, So this is a a return back. I believe it was about 2009, the last time we actually had a concert in the grandstand. And um, I'm sure a lot of people in the London area remember the permanent stage we had set up at that time. And, uh, you know, the grandstand's going to look a lot different now we've made some cosmetic changes over the years. Um, in my role as, as raceway manager for the last number of years, I was involved in that. And uh, this year as well, we uh, were able to install hundreds of additional stadium seats. So it's going to be a return to the old grandstand, but it's going to be in a more comfortable and enjoyable setting. So we think people are really going to enjoy it. Does it bring about more seats for people for these concerts than maybe what you have had in in recent years? It, it's not more total seating, Mike, but it's more comfortable seating. Let's put it that way. Um, in recent years, we had the old bench-style seating. We had to uh, remove some of that as we did some work in the grandstand. And, and uh, for a while, it was mostly just concrete uh, seating out there. So uh, this past year, we were able to uh, install, uh, I think, approximately seven or 800 stadium seats. So we've got that. And of course, plenty of standing room as well, uh, trackside right in front of where the stage is going to be located. So there'll be something for everybody and, and it's going to be a great vantage point. Will it be a similar stage set up or has that changed as well? Uh, the stage will be set up in roughly the same area as the permanent stage uh, where it was located. But, of course, uh, nowadays it's a, it's a temporary setup for these concerts, so they'll come in, they'll set up the stage, it'll face into the grandstand. So people can sit in the grandstand or stand, uh, as mentioned, trackside and face toward the infield, and that's where, they, where the concert will take place. Greg Blanchard, Director of Marketing and Communications with Western Fair District, joining us as there is a return to grandstand concerts. As Greg has outlined, Tuesday, September 10th, the Trues will be playing London. Wednesday, September 11th, it's Marianas Trench headlining. They've got Virginia to Vegas that night. And then also on Thursday, Trooper and Platinum Blonde will be playing. Greg, what do we need to know about ticket availability and when to purchase tickets? Tickets are going to go on sale uh, starting this Friday, and uh, ticket prices are uh, in the $30, $35 range, so very reasonable. And uh, with uh, that concert ticket, you will get admission into the fair as well. So uh, check out our website, westernfairdistrict.com. Uh, we've got some information on the other 
attractions that are going to be part of the fair this year, and we'll have more details to announce on that in the coming weeks, some exciting additional details as well. Uh, the theme of the fair this year, your favorites are back, and of course, the grandstand concert's a big part of that. Excellent. So your favorites are back, and can you give us any hints as to what some of these <laughs> announcements might be at least about? Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tell you this. Uh, Demo Derby was one of the things we brought back to the grandstand uh, a couple of years ago and wildly popular and uh, a big part, of course, of the history of the fair. Uh, that's going to be returning this year as well. Uh, and a couple of surprises. I'm going to leave a couple of surprises that I think people, especially uh, long-time fairgoers, are going to be happy to hear. Good. Well, we'll look forward to those. Greg, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you. Much appreciated, Mike. That is Greg Blanchard, Director of Marketing and Communications with Western Fair District. So your favorites are back. The fair comes back September 6th to the 15th. Grandstand concerts return for the first time in, as Greg says, about a decade. Has it been that long? Man, I remember seeing Our Lady Peace on that stage. But yeah, yeah, that was before I even had kids. And uh, they both drive now. Uh, let's take a break. We'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live when we return. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. How long do you go without checking your phone? If you don't have a cell phone, well, probably a long time because a watched phone doesn't ring, right? But if you do carry a smartphone in your pocket, in your purse, purse, or satchel, then you probably don't go very long without checking something. I wonder what the weather's going to be like. Oh, look, it's going to be like that. It's going to be warm. Well, in just a couple of minutes, we are going to be talking with the CIRA. Doesn't that sound like they're investigating something? Well, they are. They've been investigating how Canadians have been having trouble disconnecting and they've got some facts and figures to share with us we'll talk about that we'll talk about some london majors hey the raptors have signed some people we'll have to make mention of that too and also maryland got some really nice words on twitter and i've got to share those before the end of the show i didn't get a chance to search for her heel print in the sidewalk quebec and mornington if anybody's in the area right now don't look for the toes just the heel print that Marilyn made when she was five. We're still looking for that. And judging by the condition of the sidewalks up Richmond, I don't think a lot of sidewalks in certain areas of the city have been changed in a very long time. So maybe there's a chance it's still there. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Coming up, we'll talk about Canadians being unable to disconnect based on some new facts and what that even means. I'm starting to think, and maybe this is my own phone addiction coming through, I'm starting to think it's not such a bad thing. I don't know. Marilyn has a cell phone. By the way, here's what we received yesterday on Twitter. Uh, got a little something from Liz that says, I really love listening to Marilyn on London Live. She is a true gem. I'd really like to meet her someday. That can be arranged. There are a lot of people who would like to meet Marilyn. Marilyn, I don't think 
you know the star status that you have. Uh, another one, Me Too. There was a Facebook thread not too long ago by her daughter. Many of us had the opportunity to let her know how special we think she is. And uh, that came from Cheryl. And another one from Jason. This is all from the same thread. Uh, Love, Marilyn, always manages to make me smile. So, Marilyn, if you are listening right now, hopefully you and the birds are doing very, very well. And we will have to, should it be an autograph session? Marilyn, would you sign autographs? I think that's the status Marilyn is getting to. Autographs? Yeah? We could all eat Tostitos. It would be fantastic. Coming up, we are going to talk with Josh Tabish. We're going to talk about CIRA findings regarding Canadians having trouble disconnecting. The CIRA is... A whole lot less threatening than it actually sounds. It is the Canadian Internet Registration Authority, and they have published an annual look at the nation's Internet. What do you bet the first thing is that they hear? My Internet doesn't work very well. I can't get it in this corner of my house. Can you fix that? I don't think that's what they looked into, but we will ask when we return. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. You know some of the old views of the internet, right? That'll never catch on. (laughs) That's silly. Who's going to want to do all that stuff? Never happen. No way. Well, life's a little different with it. And I don't think it's going to change in any way. I don't think you all of a sudden turn and go away from it. You know what we're going to talk about tomorrow on London Live? Maybe something that would take us away from the internet, and that is all of this business going on between Russia and the United States about trying to hack into each other's electrical grid. Yeah, if if you wanted to shut down an electrical grid, and I'm not sure that's what they want to do. I don't think it is. But that's that's something that could harm the use of the internet. Why can't I post this picture of my cake? Man, I won't post. See, that's that's what you would have. But we'd have far greater problems as soon as you figured you couldn't post the picture of your cake or drive your car. That would be a, a big problem. But we will talk about that tomorrow on London Live. We'll talk with Derek Silva from King's University College. He's always a fascinating guy. In the meantime, let's take a look at the latest state of Canada's Internet. They call it Canada's Internet Factbook 2019 because it's here and it's staying. So how are we making use of the Internet? How much is it a part of our lives? Well, joining us is a guy who can help us to understand that. Josh Tabish is with the Canadian Internet Registration Authority. Josh, great to have you with us. How are things? Very good. Thanks so much for having me today. Well, it is uh, it's fascinating to know that you guys do this on an annual basis. How far back do you stretch with this? Is this a relatively new thing, or have you been doing this for a while? We've had this uh, project on the go for a few years now, and, and what we do is we look at each calendar year to see how trends are changing over the course of, you know, Canadians' Internet usage. Uh, and we're finding some, some pretty interesting things, including the fact that Canadians, by and large, are having a really hard time getting offline. They like being on the Internet, but, you know, the, 
the big stat today was that 85% of the folks that we surveyed haven't been offline for more than a week uh, in a long time. And so, uh, you know, Canadians absolutely are, are addicted to this thing and are really having a hard time getting some, you know, zen space off the web. So turn off the screens week, that's, that's gone. That, that's not there anymore. I don't think, yeah, it seems to be the case. I mean, you know, even, you know, we looked at the data a bit more closely, and one in five Canadians are having a hard time not being on live for more than eight hours. So, you know, even if you're working in a, a warehouse somewhere, you've still got that computer in your pocket following you everywhere you go, and you're checking Facebook, you're checking Instagram, you're messaging your partner about, you know, what, you, what, you're supposed to, what you were supposed to bring home for dinner. Um, so, yeah. We're having a really hard time getting offline, and, and we were quite surprised by just how glued to their devices Canadians are. Forget turn off the screens week. Turn off the screens day doesn't exist. But you're talking about even text messaging. Would that count? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, you know, when we look at what Canadians are doing online, it's a lot of the stuff you would expect. You know, they're checking email. They're doing online banking. They're uh, checking in on social media to see what their friends are doing. But, of course, there's a lot of other stuff that falls into that bucket, too, that, you know, 15, 20 years ago wasn't the case. So we've got time, way more people, you know, researching their next vacation. We've got way more people looking up consumer reviews. They're not, you know, for, like, consumer products. They're not uh, picking up magazines, uh, looking at reviews of the latest laptops. They're just going straight online to CNET or wherever they're getting their information. Uh, and importantly, people are spending way more time on the Internet watching movies, TVs, videos, you know, killing time on YouTube. I think that at this point it's pretty clear that online video is the, you know, killer app of the Internet um, in 2019. We're talking with Josh Tabish from the CIRA, the Canadian Internet Registration Authority. What they do is annually they look at how we're making use of the Internet in Canada. Uh, let's talk about people who might be 55 years of age or older, if we went back in time, I don't think we'd see as many people who were in that age demographic necessarily owning smartphones. Do we have any idea what the increase has been over the years? Yeah, so if we go back to 2015 and take a look at how many people over the age of 55 um, were using smartphones, that number sat at about 24%, so, you know, roughly one in four. Uh, flash forward to today, 2019, and we see that over half of boomers are using um, mobile devices to cruise the web. So this is smartphones, this is tablets, this is, you know, things like that. And that number really has, has exploded. And we've also seen that a ton of these, the, stage, the same age demographic, is now taking up, you know, um, online purchasing over smartphones. So full disclosure, I'm 30 years old. I remember talking to my parents when they would say, we're never going to buy anything on the Internet. We're never going to give our credit card information out to some unknown person. That can't possibly safe, be safe. There's no way we're going to do that. And sure enough, on the weekend, I was visiting my dad, and there he was with his iPhone, you know, buying a bunch of stuff on Amazon. So I think that that, that demographic is really taking up this technology and really taking up the convenience of having that device with them everywhere they go for those spur-of-the-minute purchases and, uh, you know, Google searches. 
if we are buying online, and like you say, it is pretty natural now for a lot of people to do that, there's always a concern then that, uh-oh, okay, then people are going to find the cheapest deals online. They're not going to be using Canadian retailers. That's going to hurt Canada's economy. Do you have any idea whether or not we're paying attention to who we're buying from online? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the findings in the new report is that almost two-thirds of the people we surveyed prefer making online purchases from Canadian retailers when they feel like they have a choice. And when we asked them why that was, they said, you know, look, it benefits the Canadian economy. We're not paying through the nose uh, when it comes to the American exchange rate. We're avoiding customs and tax you know, duties uh, when stuff comes into the country. Um, you know, when we asked them about what, you know, are they going out of their way to choose from a Canadian or to, to buy from a Canadian retailer instead of a U.S. one? They said, yeah, absolutely. That is something we're screening for uh, when we're making purchases online. So at the end of the day, you know, I think we have a lot of national pride and we really want to try to contribute to the local economy as much as possible. Um, and we And we really see that in people's online purchasing habits. Josh Tabus joining us from the Canadian Internet Registration Authority, and we're talking about their annual look at the state of the Internet in Canada. Uh, Sometimes you mentioned it's hard to get away from the Internet. You would think that if you were heading into a certain room in the house, let's call it the bathroom, you might leave your phone behind. What are you finding Canadians are actually doing when they go into the bathroom? Well, we found that about 46% of the folks we surveyed admitted to taking the phone into the bathroom with them. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I think that number should be a lot higher. I think that if you, if you could somehow figure out what the real number is, it would be, it would be closer to 75 or 90%. But this is, again, people who self-identified as doing this. But the fact that one in, nearly one in two people who took our survey admitted to taking the phone into the bathroom is a pretty good sign that it's a widespread practice. <laughs> we've, all, we've all been in the bathroom and heard somebody in the stall having a conversation or hearing the clickety-clack noise from their keyboard. Um, so we know it's happening, but the data, the data really confirms it today. Um, and, uh, and again, I, I really think in my heart that that number has got to be a lot higher than, than folks are admitting. All right, Josh, before we close out, let's look at two more things. One, searching for jobs online. The other, searching for a mate online. Let's start with jobs because there are certainly a lot of jobs posted online these days. How much success are Canadians having finding jobs online? I think that it is pretty hard to imagine getting a job without a high-speed internet connection uh, in 2019. You know, we find that more and more Canadians are going online to search out new employment opportunities. Um, and what we and what we are finding is that many of us, many of these folks have also told us that it would have been nearly impossible to pull this off um, without uh, an internet connection. So I think at the end of the day, you know, um, it's super important that policymakers who want to create jobs in Canada and who want to give folks an opportunity to skill up find ways to make sure that universal access to broadband uh, and Internet access is possible, um, because without it, it's just so hard for folks to get a leg up, find new employment, find a job that's a better fit for them and their families. 
uh, and ultimately makes it harder for employers to attract top talent. So with more and more Canadians, you know, finding jobs online every day, it's of the utmost importance that we make sure there is fast and affordable coverage for everyone. And then finding a mate online, how prevalent is that in this country, according to your survey? Well, you know, with the rise of um, with the rise of online dating websites, you know, more and more people are turning to the internet to find their spouse. So, in our finding, you know, or in our survey, I should say, we found that nearly ten percent of people who went online to, to start a relationship ended up finding their spouse that way. I mean, that is a one in ten Canadians are finding uh, their, their the person they married online when 30 years ago this technology didn't exist at all. I mean, that's pretty wild. Um, so with the numbers of people turning to online dating and the numbers of people finding their way into happy long-term relationships, you know, we think this is a really great sign that the Internet is helping people, um, you know, get, you know, become less lonely, find people out there who think like them and, and want to share the good life together. And that's just great news. It's great stuff. Well, Josh, we really appreciate the time and the numbers. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. That is Josh Tabish from the Canadian Internet Registration Authority. How interesting is that? It's not that people are putting down their phones and taking a break, because you can't. It's it's become a part of you. It's like implanting Google. Someone will eventually do that. I'm not sure how healthy that will be, but somebody's going to try that at some point. But, you know, and, and we'll all look back if in 20 years we've all have a, a little chip in our wrist or a chip in the back of our head or wherever you'd put it, and you would think, why did people take the time to use their fingers and punch in what it was that they wanted to know. Why Why did we do that? When you could just think it, and it would happen. That's scary, but at the same time, how is that any different from people saying, yeah, I don't put my credit card information online to buy things. That's, that's not what I do. And now it's, yeah, well, it's just there. And some people feel frustrated when they can't autofill everything when they go to buy something. Oh, i got to type all this stuff in? Are you kidding me? It's a waste of my time. So we are making progress like that. The idea that one in five has even disconnected for eight consecutive hours, that's pretty wild. That means four in five have not. That's the old dental thing. Four out of five dentists recommend whatever it was they were recommending at the time. Uh, Ontario is not exactly up there for having the fastest average Internet speeds. That actually belongs to British Columbia and Alberta, and they recently passed New Brunswick. And one of the other things that came out of this was that 7 in 10 people surveyed said they would be unlikely to purchase a home in an area that didn't have high-speed Internet. And we've had those high-speed Internet talks before. And I've loved to hear how they've gone, because we have people who will say, I don't have it, I don't want it, I don't need it, my life is fine without it. And, hey, kudos to that. That's, that's fantastic because it does make it a lot simpler, I believe. It really does. It makes life a lot less stressful and hectic because you do get that mental break that I don't think we allow ourselves to have when you've got the, oh, i got to check this, and oh, i got to look at this, oh, what about this? And it does change you. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens to humans in the way that we, we make you know, changes to the way our brain functions. You know that that happens by, you know, 2030, 2035, 
how are brains going to be wiring themselves based on what we do with our smartphones? Let's take a break. We'll close out the show in just a moment with a different survey, one that does not involve technology, one that involves something that's been there and been loyal for a very long time. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, all the Internet stuff I can completely understand. This I cannot One last survey before we close out the show. A new one that was done by Riley's Organics says 52% of people admitted that they kiss their dog more than their partner. And 52% prefer to sleep in bed with their dog over their partner. I don't get that. I don't get people who kiss their dogs. Not because their dog's mouth is dirty or anything. I don't get that you kiss your dog because the dog doesn't know what that is. This is not this is not something the dogs do. Dogs do not kiss. If you wanted to walk up to your dog and sniff the dog's butt, that would make perfect sense. Because you know what? That's what dogs do. And the dog is not going to object to that. There was a story a couple of weeks ago about a woman who was bitten by a dog. You want to know why she was bitten by the dog? Because she got into the dog's face to give it a kiss. And the dog went, I don't understand what's going on here. You're getting too close to me. And bit the woman. She had that plastic surgery. 52% of people admit to kissing their dog more than their partner. Dogs don't like to be kissed. Know what dogs don't like? They don't like to be hugged. It means you're not letting them get away. No, 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 no. That survey needs, needs to come with a caveat or an asterisk or something. Thanks to Matt McInnes for his help today on London Live. London Live is brought to you, as always, by courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. News is on the way next with Jacqueline LaBelle. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL.